Excellent connection. All right, all right. Hey, everybody. Stefan Mullen, you from? Free Domain. Hope you're doing well. And we are... Yeah, stop doing my hair. It looks fine. Actually, yeah, it does look fine. Uh, pretty much in the rear view, as you well know. And... Um, Thank you uh, so much for joining me this Saturday afternoon. And don't forget, Thursday coming up, I'm going to be doing a debate, 8 p.m. Eastern Standard Time. And it's going to be a debate on capitalism versus communism. It's going to be with a professor who is sympathetic to Antifa. So that is going to be quite the conversation. I hope you will join us for that and how are you guys doing? Let me just uh, drop in and, and say hi to everyone before we go into our um, um, philosophy examination of the current state of the world. And um, feel free to give a shout out. I will give a shout out back. You can, of course, drop by freedomain.com forward slash freedomain to do that. Glad that you're here and well. Molyneux says, Stan, thank you uh, very much. I appreciate that back. Good evening from Sweden. Hello, Marcus. It's hot out here in Arizona. I don't doubt that uh, that's pretty much true year-round. Hi from the United Communist Islands of Hawaii. We are implementing facial recognition at all of our airports. Wow. Watch some Tucker. Yeah, interesting stuff, right? Interesting stuff. And uh, welcome back. I just snuck up on you. Did I? Did I really? <laughs> well, I'm not. My daughter can tell you I'm not the most silent mover in the world, although I claim to be. But it really doesn't work out that way. Good evening from Switzerland. Hello there. Hello, Nathan. Doing well. Shout out to my wife carrying the firstborn. Is she still carrying it in the marsupial manner or is she carrying it in her arms? Uh, let's find out. Let's find out. Nicholas says, all the best from Switzerland. Thank you so much. All the best to you as well. James Porsche. Bravo from the UK. Thank you. Massachusetts. Ireland. You here in Arizona, Steph. No, am I sweating? <laughs> no, I'm just reading off from people. Hello from Puerto Rico. Germany. Colorado. Uh, fantastic. Uh, nice to meet you. Channel Islands. Wow. Hello from the Islamic Kingdom of England. Was the turtle laying eggs? No. Would love for you to tie in the French Revolution with these times. I've had that thought probably about 50 times over the last little while. So I would, uh, I will definitely do that. That is a very, very important. Your live streams with your daughter do great stuff for my mood. Yeah, you know, we, she, we just tried her first live stream today, and then we just happened to be out biking and uh, ran across a turtle, which we went hysterical over. So um, I hope that you like them. I know that they're a little bit of a departure. Feel free to skip them, but they're great fun for us here. And she's kind of a natural uh, in a way. <laughs> uh, so uh, I appreciate that. Hello, Florida, Ohio, uh, Paris Commune. No, that's just... <laughs> Uh, Southern California, Rhode Island, Ukraine, Indianapolis. Look at this, a worldwide gathering of philosophically inclined people. How absolutely delightful. All right. So, and listen, don't forget, um, you can go to subscribestar.com forward slash free domain, sign up, and there's a Discord server where we chat and do shows and all of that. My daughter has been putting together some... Um, uh, trivia games where we all play and do trivia. So that is a huge amount of fun. We'll do that. And uh, we also have a whole Minecraft server, believe it or not. There people are running Dungeons and Dragons games, step challenges, exercise challenges, uh, local meetups and all of that. So my wife wants me to teach her two-year-old to ride her bike. Mm, you can't put a two-year-old on an adult's bike, baby. Sorry, man. This is the kind of ex excellent advice you come to free domain for. So 
That turtle belongs to the indigenous people of Canada. Hmm. Yeah, it is amazing how communists will tell you how smallpox was somehow genocide, but the actual murder of 100 million people was uh, something that you kind of brush over and we'll get it right next time. All right. So we, uh, should we get into it? I am going to... Can a poor man get a link? Yeah, yeah. Okay, absolutely. Um, dot com. Subscribestar.com. Forward slash. Free, uh, free domain. Uh, you can just go to freedomain.com and forward slash donate as well. So uh, check that out. Just donated. Tax returns are good. Thank you. I mean, I know it's really, really tough to um, sing some more Queen songs. Man, I could just do Queen songs all night, I'll tell you that. Very much appreciated in North Carolina. Hi there. Nice to meet you. Are you in parlor, Stefan? I am. You can just find me at Stefan Molyneux, S-T-E-F-A-N-M-O-L-Y-N-E-U-X. Uh, I am on parlor. Shout out for the Dark Horse podcast. I don't know what that, uh, I don't know what that means, but... Uh, all right. Um, you like the videos with your daughter? Good to mix in with your regular videos? It's nice, right? She really uh, did enjoy it. That's the first time that uh, she's done a live stream, and she really did uh, have a lot of fun. So, Is Bitcoin going to zero? Uh, it's going to a lot of zeros, but there'll be numbers in front of it. When are you seriously going to address the JQ? Jehovah's Quotient? Hmm, it's a tough one. Post more on Parler. I will. Uh, will Black Lives Matter actually do more harm than good in the long run? Well, of course they're going to do more harm than good. It's a, it's a Marxist organization that is using race because class didn't work. See, the Marxists tried to tell the poor people that capitalism was going to make them poorer while the rich got richer. But what happened was, funny story, the middle class grew specifically against what Marx predicted. And then the poor had the opportunity to become middle class. So they lost out on um, class baiting. But now they've switched. Of course, and then they lost out to some degree on gender baiting because women are just getting progressively more miserable, unhappy, and insane in general in Western countries. Uh, step uh, Decade by decade, female misery is improve, increasing. And so they failed on class, they failed on gender, so they're turning to race. You know, whatever they can do to sow divisions, they will do. And for more on that, please go and watch my documentary, uh, Hong Kong Fight for Freedom. You can't find it on YouTube because, well, the reasons are probably quite... Quite large and manifold, but you can go to freedomain.com. Just click on documentaries. I've got three documentaries up there. You should watch it. Uh, and it talks about all of that stuff. Do you think you're a racist? No. So I was asked that question the other day. Sorry, my lips are dry. I was asked that question the other day. So what is racism? So it's an important question, right? Now, racism can't be having general statements about races that are true, right? It, it, it can't be that because that's just science, right? So um, are Jewish people more uh, susceptible to Tay-Sachs disease? Yes. Are blacks more susceptible to hypertension? Yes. Uh, do uh, East Asians, do Orientals, as they used to be called, do they tend to vote for Democrats? Yes. Do blacks tend to vote for Democrats? Yes. Do Hispanics tend to vote for Democrats? Yes. Do women tend to vote for Democrats? Yes. Do white males tend to vote for Democrats? No, funnily enough, which is why they have to be demonized by the Democrat-controlled media. So it can't be saying general statements about races. Now, it is racist, of course, to take general statements about groups and apply them to specific individuals, right? So you can't say, you can't meet some East Asian person and say, oh, I know you vote Democrat, right? Because it's, it's just a trend. Uh, or a Jewish person tends to vote Democrat like 80-20, right? It's nuts. So you can't say it about individuals. You can't judge them by group characteristics. But when you're talking about groups, you certainly can, right? Like if you go up to every woman you meet and say, you're shorter than the average man, well, you're going to be wrong 
on a fairly regular basis. But you can say, of course, about women as a whole that they're shorter than the average man. So you, you don't want to take general group characteristics and apply them to particular individuals. That would be wrong and, and inaccurate and so on. But to me, it's racist if you have a negative moral judgment about an ethnicity or a race as a whole. Right? That's, that's, really, uh, that's really wrong. And that's really bad because a moral judgment is to say that racial differences or racial evolution has some moral component. And it doesn't. It's Darwinian. Right? The race has evolved in different um, environments, very different environments. And think all the way from um, the, the equator, uh, where you know, it's uh, hot as a sunburnt witch's cleavage, to you know, the Arctic Circle with, the, with the, uh, the Inuit. Right? I mean, just think of that wild difference in evolutionary uh, pressures, evolutionary environments, and so on, right? And so there's nothing moral about evolution. I mean, if you look at the polar bear and the brown bear, there's nothing moral about it. They just evolved in different environments, and the brown bear needs the brown skin because they live in a forest, and the polar bear needs the white fur because they live on the snow. And so there's nothing moral about it. So you wouldn't want to ascribe any moral statements to the differences between ethnicities. I would consider that racist to do so. But simply acknowledging ethnic differences, uh, that's, not, uh, that's not racist at all. In fact, in fact, it's kind of inhumane. Like if you tried to be a race-neutral doctor, like a doctor who said there's no difference at all between the races, you would get people literally killed. Like you would be a terrible doctor who would cause people enormous harm. Uh, and if you wanted to say, if you wanted to deal with alcoholism, Right, and you did not acknowledge any differences, say, between whites and the indigenous population of North America, then you would not be very effective, right? So one of the big problems with the indigenous population of North America is they lack certain enzymes to help break down alcohol in their system, which is why alcohol addiction tends to be such an enormous problem. And I have massive sympathy for all of that. It's very, very tough. Like we gave them alcohol, they gave us syphilis, we gave them smallpox, they gave us smoking, like it's, you know, Unfortunately, it's a bit of a nasty cross-trade that occurs when these different cultures and ethnicities meet up. But you would want to acknowledge these differences in order to be able to be effective in helping to solve social problems. Uh, otherwise, you're just misallocating resources, which is a nice way of putting that you're just going to get a bunch of people killed. So no, talking about racial differences is not at all racist. In fact, it's incredibly harmful to everyone to pretend that such differences don't exist from a medical standpoint, from a social standpoint, and so on. So that's just... a uh, uh, an issue, right? All right. Uh, watching mi mixed martial arts fights is like watching chess if you know what to look for. No, it's not. <laughs> chess is an intellectual uh, exercise. Um, Irish Native American genes. Oh, hell, I'm effed if I don't avoid alcohol. I would say in general, uh, minimize alcohol uh, as a whole. Um, I will have a light beer once in a while, but um, I... Uh, I try, try and avoid it as, as a whole. I've just seen a lot of people's lives get really messed up by, by alcohol and so on. China versus India, war coming? No, not, not a war. I mean, the, the wars between nuclear powers don't happen anymore, right? Because the leaders can be killed. It's amazing. They become, they, they found, they cracked the New, the New Testament and found blessed are the peacemakers the, the moment that uh, the nuclear weapons allowed you to take out leaders. So the youth are losing their morals. Well, we're going to get into, we're going to get all of that. Steph, collaborate with Alex Jones more. That's a good idea. Uh, alcohol is what created civilization. 
Well, so alcohol is a pretty good way of getting calories. Uh, I've said this before on the show. When I was doing research uh, for my graduate school uh, essays, uh, I came across a story from a guy in the 19th century who was he, – he, he unloaded canal barges in London and um, – it was really uh, it was really something because he said that he tried to give up alcohol but he just couldn't get the calories that he needed to get his work done so he had to end up taking alcohol because it actually gives you quite a lot of calories and uh, it doesn't go off and of course you generally get to um well it, yeah it keeps it and you get a lot of calories right? a lot of carbs a lot of sugar and all that kind of stuff so 6 months alcohol free lost 50 pounds so far Steph, go on InfoWars, friend, and you get to one million. No, no, come on. YouTube's not going to let me get to a million. <laughs> I, think, I think YouTube would rather uh, uh, operate from the um, Sears asteroid in the asteroid belt than give me my million plaque. Uh, it's just not, not going to happen. Um, what, what can I tell you? <laughs> what can I tell you? So, uh, Let's see here. Alcohol is just a glass of bread. <laughs> it's interesting. Yeah, that's interesting. Uh, right, a couple more questions, or should we just should we get through? Did you hear about the White Lives Matter banner in England? Oh, yeah, it's completely hysterical. Um, so, you know, whites in America, uh, 16 and under, whites are now the minority for the first time in the history of census data in, in America. Whites are the minority. So whites, young whites are a minority. So when you start talking, when people start talking about minorities, oh, the minorities this, the minorities that, say, well, are you... Does that include young whites? So we've got to help the minorities. Does that include the young whites? We've got to have affirmative action for minorities. Does that include the young whites? Uh, and, of course, you'll find out very quickly that the anti-white hysteria that is hopefully going to burn itself out before it results in outright violence, the anti-white hysteria has nothing to do with minorities, right? I mean, whites are a tiny minority in the world. I mean, we used to be a significant proportion of the world population. Now we're way down below. 10%. And as far as like women of childbearing age, it's like one or 2% of the world population. So the idea that we're anything but a world minority is, I mean, it's completely crazy. It's completely mad. So yeah, minorities, yeah, in the world, we're very much a tiny minority. So uh, Steph, any possibility that you're going to return <laughs> to the Joe Rogan podcast? There is absolutely no possibility that I'm going to return to the Joe Rogan podcast. First, because he will never invite me back, because I will call him out on his absolutely rancid bullshit regarding the riots, in particular at this point where he says, oh, it's all white people. Uh, I will call him out on just some crazy, crazy stuff, like actually endorsing a communist uh, maybe because of his wife. I don't know. But uh, yeah, I would call him out on that just completely insane stuff. Uh, number one, I would never go back. Uh, sorry, he would never ask me. And secondly, even if he did ask me, I wouldn't go back because... You know, if you're going to have a conversation with someone that you really don't respect, you you got to just know going in that it's a real, it's a real combat, right? And Joe, gosh, it was so long ago now, but so Joe had me on his show a couple of times for those who don't know, and it was very friendly and very positive, and he was very keen, like, hey man, you know, you're a great guy. What what can I do to help get you more exposure? And you know, he was kind of a big fan, and I enjoyed my conversations with him, although of course I had my reservations. And look, I'm sure he had reservations about me. We always do with people. But then he invited me down for a third show, and he just queued up everything I had said that could possibly be misinterpreted and, you know, hit me hard from every particular angle. And I don't mind being hit hard. I'd just like to know ahead of time if it's – like, it's otherwise it's an ambush. Like, if somebody invites you over for something that's still supposed to be ostensibly friendly and positive and happy and hippie and this, that stuff, that's great. If somebody says, you know, I really want to 
rake you over the coals about X, Y, and Z, you know, I don't mind doing that. I mean, I'm a public figure. I'm happy to respond to, but I just like to be prepared. You know, somebody invites you over for something friendly uh, and then ambushes you with all of this negative stuff. It's just a douche move. That's all. It's, I mean, you can do it, of course. He's certainly free to do it, but it's just a douche move. And he didn't even choose to do it. He was just talked into it by Anna Kasparian because I criticized her for something. So he's just a, he's kind of like a cucky guy as far as all of that stuff goes. Uh, why are white people not allowed to be proud? Well, um, white people are not allowed to be proud for the simple reason that if you're allowed to be proud, then you might hesitate to be the major funding source for all of the citizenship and benefits and welfare handed out by politicians to everybody who comes into your country. So, no. Unfortunately, the, um, the, the captives are not allowed to gain self-esteem, right? I mean, the, the, the tax serfs, the tax slaves, and it's not just whites, lots of people too, but the tax serfs and the tax slaves, you're not allowed to have self-esteem. You've got to grind down the serfs. Otherwise, they might uh, realize how powerful they are. So all of that kind of stuff is just kind of nonsense. Uh, Rogan doesn't have the mental acumen to converse with you without an ambush tactic. No, I don't think that's true. I mean, he's a smart guy. I, I think that he's had a lot of time being famous, which can be tough for people. He's had a lot of drugs, and that is not good for your brain at all. And um, I don't see him really do any debates. I could be wrong about that, but I don't really see him do any debates. So, the, I mean, the thing is, too, so he, you know, he really, really went hard on me and criticized everything uh, about me and all this misinterpretation stuff and all of that. But he had Steve Tyler on, and Steve Tyler has done some absolutely appalling things with young women in the past. Could didn't say anything about that, right? <laughs> so, like, there's not any ethical or moral standards uh, or anything like that. Tired of whites being pushed over for minorities in jobs. Well, again, don't talk about minorities anymore. Don't talk about minorities because whites under 16 are now a minority in the U.S. So you have to understand that affirmative action is a way of uh, kind of killing the birth rate because if you are thrown over for education, if you are thrown over for jobs, in other words, you're not allowed to be hired or you're dis discouraged from getting an education, then what happens is you don't have the money to attract a woman to start a family, right? So it's a way of shoveling resources from one group to another, kind of like the welfare state, so that the smarter people who want to get ahead have less, less time, right? Less time. I know Joe Rogan has smoked pot, but has he taken other drugs? I think so. I think so, but I don't really follow that. What do I think of crypto? It's fantastic. Uh, I think it's absolutely fantastic. What do you think about Scott Adams saying that people will vote for Joe Biden just to topple the system? I didn't know he had said that, um, but yes, I think that is a particular uh, issue, right? Joe said Rayshard was super nice and cooperative, ignored the fact that every word he said to the cops was a lie. Well, of course, Rayshard was nice and cooperative at the beginning because he was hoping to get out of being arrested for driving under the influence. The guy passed out in a drive-through at Wendy's. And so, of, of course, he was nice and cooperative until he was arrested, and then his nice and cooperative shtick didn't work, and then he turned completely feral and attacked the cops. And it's gotten so insane that even though he wrestled the taser from the cop, and it was a multi-shot taser, by the way, so it was a multi-shot taser. So the fact that he'd fired one, um, cops are very well trained that a taser is a deadly weapon, either, like, if, especially if you shoot it in someone's face, those barbs go in your... Um, I, I mean, you're toast, man, at that electricity. And I think that the, it looks like the cop got hit with at least one of the bombs. You need two to make the connection. So the cop was, um, I mean, one of the cops was on the ground. He'd had a concussion. I mean, he'd been beaten so, 
savagely, and even the cop who's lying on the ground who had a concussion is being charged with murder. I mean, for God's sakes, that's beyond completely and totally insane. And there's a reason why uh, over 170 of the cops uh, ended up uh, not showing up for work because uh, it's completely brutal. So for Joe Rogan, if Joe Rogan did say Ray Sharp was super nice and cooperative, then he's just using doing the standard race betting stuff, right? So Joe is tied into a uh, company that is tied into Tencent, which is tied into the communist party. And the communists love stoking race baiting. The communists, uh, the, the Chinese are extraordinarily racist as a whole. Individuals, of course, not the case. But um, so, but they love provoking race baiting stuff in the West. It's uh, a very fourth generation warfare kind of thing. So yeah, it's if he did say that, uh, that's uh, absolutely, absolutely appalling. Uh, just absolutely appalling. So with regards to Joe Biden, so I think people tell me what you guys think if you were pro-Trump. Are you, um, are you satisfied with what you get with the hoots hook, with the, um, with the hits that you took to help get Trump elected? You know, the professional hits, the personal hits, the family hits, the dating hits, all of that stuff, right? Uh, are you satisfied with what you got out of Trump over the last uh, three and a half odd years um, compared to what you expected? Uh, did you get uh, what you uh, wanted? Uh, not really, he says. Um, let's see here. R Rogan said, call the guy an Uber. Really? <laughs> call the guy an Uber? Um, and the guy was uh, on probation. No, it's bad. Yeah, Rayshard was a child abuser. Uh, so not particularly, uh, not particularly interesting. Um, so, yeah, people don't seem to be, some yes, some no. So, Trump was, uh, people's last hope for the system. Like, can, can you drain the swamp? Can we apply the, the, the power of law to powerful people? Will they be subject to the law? That was the basic idea behind Trump, right? That was what people were voting for him for. And they took a huge amount of personal hits in order to uh, help get Trump elected. And, um, well... It, it, it seems it doesn't matter who you who you want to get into the White House. You just always get Jared Kushner, right? I mean, it always seems to be the way that things go. So I think if you compare Trump to his promises and what people wanted, he falls far short. If you compare Trump to Hillary Clinton, well, um, at least there haven't been any new wars. Uh, that's a plus. And through COVID, at least immigration has been shut down and people have now been exposed to how easy it is to just shut down immigration if you want, which is kind of important. Um, but I don't think people believe that Trump is going to be able to do anything about the demographic change that is going to fundamentally rewrite America in the style of South America, right? A small group of elites, a large group of uh, fairly uneducated barrio dwellers and uh, a lot of gated communities, uh, which eventually, hopefully, doesn't end up like South Africa, where whites are just basically being hunted and excluded from the job market as a whole. But... I think some people will say, if Trump can't save the system, let's jump on the accelerationist train. Like, let's just get the system crashed as fast as humanly possible. Let's borrow and spend and kill the dollar, because once the dollar is killed, uh, once the hyperinflation hits, uh, I've got food in the basement, so I'll be okay, I think people are saying. But what it will do if the economy is killed uh, is it will prevent the world beating a path to America's door for all the free stuff that the current illusory wealth in America is providing, right? So there is a certain amount of, you know, if I can't stop the ants, at least I can take a crap on the honey, 
<laughs> that's attracting them, so to speak. And that's a, I mean, it's a very extreme position, position and uh, it's going to be a lot less, it's going to be a lot harder, I think, than people think. And um, I don't know. It's it's hard to predict. It's hard to predict. If, if Trump gets in for another term, if the borders can stay uh, closed and if there can, if there's enough people who avoid going to universities. I mean, universities are a, a complete plague. I mean, outside of, you know, some hard sciences here and there, right? But, you know, hard sciences, well, somebody's got to train the people who can be bribed by China to release uh, uh, state secrets and, and uh, industrial secrets and bioweapons to China. So uh, I'm even pretty skeptical about the hard sciences these days. But uh, yeah, engineers, doctors, whatever, right? So but to go to the arts is, is completely insane. So hopefully people say, you know, to hell with going to university. That's just a fool's game where I end up going heavily into debt in order to learn how to loathe everything about what might be good for me in society. But then what they do is hopefully they'll go be entrepreneurs and go and, uh, you know, make some babies, all that kind of stuff. Maybe that will be uh, amazing. Russia is amazing. Thanks. We must be allies. Yeah, I wonder the degree to which the media in America is angry at Russia because Putin was talking about the Jewish roots of communism and they just, I don't know, it's hard to know exactly how much that has uh, angered the media, which tends to be pretty pro-communist uh, and all of that. So who knows? Who knows? Do you believe voting is immoral or unethical? No. No, I don't. I don't. I don't. Why should the non-aggression principle apply to children and women? Sorry, can't. Can't, uh, please, slow mode on. Should I, should I put the slow mode on? Um, I don't know if our... Uh, <laughs> can, I, can I do that? Let me just see here. Additional settings. Uh, delay. Closed captions. Normal latency. Yeah, I don't know. Can't find it. Sorry. Sorry. I probably should. I probably should. Let's see here. Um, let's... You guys are really fascinating. These are absolutely great questions. Should I get to my general thesis? Uh, people who ask me if so-and-so is coming on, I don't know who this person is. Send me an email or try and set it up yourself or whatever, but uh, can we get an updated take on South Africa? I will uh, look into doing that. I'm really kind of crazy busy at the moment. Uh, any thoughts on Arthur Schopenhauer? So I'm going to do a, a presentation on Immanuel Kant, uh, which would be very, very interesting. Very interesting. Um, let's see here. Can I? Uh... Let's see here. Hold on a sec. Will prostitution ever go away? Sure, prostitution goes away when child abuse is diminished, right? Because prostitutes uh, come off that kind of stuff. Uh, just a sec. If you can help. Uh, let's see. How do we demarxify the U.S.? Well, you know, stay away from... Um, the mainstream media, if you can, stay away from universities and um, just really work hard to bring the truth to the people in your life. Stefan, are you a Freemason? Be honest. I think if I was a Freemason, I'm not supposed to tell you. Uh, as far as, look, listen, guys, I grew up in a single mom welfare household. There was not a lot of Freemasonry recruitment going on in the semi-ghetto that I was uh, raised in. So uh, I hope that uh, <laughs> that answers that. Uh, let's see here. Narcissists. 
Uh, any thoughts on Parler and Gab? Yeah, Gab's going through a really tough time. I mean, they've been the uh, they've been hit pretty hard by Visa. I think even the founders of Gab have been personally hit uh, with that. So it's pretty pretty tough. If you can help them out, I'm sure that would be I'm sure that would be great. Um, somebody's trying to make me laugh <laughs> while you're reading. Uh, maybe some ASCII images. Maybe some ASCII pictures. Uh, somebody says, I'm not working right now, but I donated what I could. Thank you for doing what you do. I consider it very important. Thank you so much. Listen, I mean, whatever you guys you can do to help, please do. Um, but please don't give me what you can't afford. Like, please, if, you know, don't don't uh, harm your ability to eat or pay rent or anything like that. That's really, really, uh, really important. Uh, your, truth about intro to, uh, your truth about an intro to philosophy series are both part of my children's high school curriculum. We appreciate you. Thank you very much. I uh, appreciate that. I'm glad. Uh, to uh, to actually help about that. Would you spank a child to save its life? I can't imagine any situation where spanking would save a child's life. Do a collab with Thomas Sowell, please. He really doesn't do a whole bunch. Uh, he does some in-person in stuff, but I don't think he does remote stuff. I'll donate $1,000 if you tell us what happened to Mike. Oh, do you mean Mike, the guy who works with me? You know, I mean, we worked together for, I think, four or five years. And well, people's interests change and they want to do different things and all that kind of stuff. I'm kind of strapped to this machine no matter what because um, my reputation, I mean, it's it's a very good reputation and it's a very bad reputation. It's really not, not a whole lot in the middle. And so I'm kind of strapped to this no matter what. Like they kind of cornered me into doubling down. And so because they came at me so hard so many years ago, like 12 or 13 years ago, when I first started to get the really, you know, psycho, he's a creepy cult leader crap that came out of the mainstream media, it's like, okay, well, there's no backing away from this now. <laughs> I really got to double in. So they did uh, layer me in a whole lot of, I would say courage, but uh, when you don't have a whole lot of options, like, hey, after you've been called a Nazi cult leader, just go get a job. <laughs> Some place that'll be just fine. So... I'm uh, I'm strapped in, but other people aren't strapped in. They can make different choices. So I hope that helps. And, you know, I try not to talk about people who aren't part of the conversation. Um, would UPB be better described as GPB, generally preferable behavior? No, it's universal. It's, it's absolutely universal. It has to be universal. Ben Shapiro argued he'd hit his kid to prevent it from running across the street. Well... Why would you be in a situation with your child where your child is running across the street? You don't take your children by the street because this is the usual example that you hear when it comes to hitting kids, right? Number one, it's so predictable. Number one, oh, but they're going to pull something off a stove and it's boiling water and you're going, hey, right? Oh, they're going to run into the street. Like like there's some, uh, like a, the pet cemetery was kind of driven by the fact that uh, Stephen King's son almost ran into the street. That's kind of where he got the emotional impetus for some of the book and you know build a fucking fence like what's your what's your major malfunction you keep the kids out of the kitchen you uh, you build a fence you have them play and you explain to them with roads don't go far and you also engage with your children and play with them to the point where they don't want to just run away from you onto the street so there's so much that you can do like here's the thing if you just say to yourself i'm not going to hit my kids just, just say that. To say then there's no other way to solve the problem of child danger is ridiculous. I mean, literally it's like saying, 
well, if I'm not going to beat my girlfriend, there's no other way I can interact with her. If I'm not going to beat my dog, there's no other possible way that I can interact with her. And it's, it's related to statism, right? Because people say, well, without the state, all these disasters would occur. And they say, in the same way, they say, without hitting your children, all these disasters would occur. But it's just Pascal's wager, right? Which is you just raise the negatives to the point where bad behavior becomes a positive. Well, if you don't hit your kids, they're going to run into traffic, right? I mean, it's ridiculous. Plus, hitting kids doesn't work. It's statistically very, very clear. Hitting kids does not work because 30 to 40% of kids are still being hit in junior high school, even in early high school. So it just doesn't work. And uh, kids go back to what it is they were doing before. It fractures the bond. Your children will not respect you. And it may, may gain you some temporary compliance. But oh boy, if you say might makes right, which is all that happens when you say I'm bigger than you so I can hit you. If you say that might makes right, <laughs> I tell you, man, you get older, they get stronger. And when they get into their teenage years and you get old and creaky, man, they will have no respect for you left at all. And a lot of parenting, most of parenting. Parenting is about two things. It's about zero to two and it's about 12 to 16. That's all that parenting is about, zero to two, to layer in the bonding, to layer in the good behavior, to layer in the love, to layer in the affection. That's it, zero to two. And then there's a latency period, right, where they kind of get taller, but not much in particular changes. And then the teen storms hit, right? The tsunami of hormones hit and the growth spurts and all that kind of stuff. And they get surly and they get negative and they get cynical and they get all that kind of stuff, right? Uh, I had a, a, in my novel, The God of Atheists, there's a mom who's got this kind of odd affection for her son who's kind of goth. And she goes from calling him darling to calling him darkling <laughs> because he's become so negative. And um, you got to be prepared, for those teen storms. My daughter's entering them now too. And, you know, it's it's great because, you know, you get tired of a phase of parenting and your kids grow and all that kind of stuff. But uh, you've got to prepare for that. And if you hit your kids a lot when they're younger and they get big and strong and, you know, monstrous, it's just going to, it's going to blow back so hard. Alexander says, Stefan, my father died today. Watching your videos from when your father passed has helped me cope a lot. My 12-year-old sister now has no male figure in her life and I don't know how to handle that. Oh, I'm so sorry. I'm so sorry. Well, she has you. So, but, you know, kids can't be parents, right? Like there's this horrible thing that happens with kids, particularly sons, right? The father dies and what happens? Well, what happens is some complete jerkwad of a relative goes, sits down with the son and says, well, you're the man of the house now. You're going to take care of your mama, will you? It's like, nope, 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 nope. That's totally wrong. Totally destructive, totally immoral and uh, should not in any way, shape, or form happen. So you do not steal the child's childhood because you don't want to help take care of the mom. So I am very sorry about that. Uh, let's see here. Steph, can you please address the parallels between the birth of the SA in the 1930s Germany and modern BLM Antifa activism? Uh, yeah, well, so uh, the SA, um, so Antifa had its roots. Uh, Antifa is the terrorist arm of the communist ideology and it what it does is it expands and expands violence it attacks and it attacks and it attacks until it provokes a very strong response from the state in the case of germany it was the national socialists right the international socialists were fighting the national socialists it was one crime gang fighting another and so what happened was in germany in the 1920s the communists were very close to taking over the communists were very close to taking over. And 
people panicked and they ran into the arms of the National Socialists who promised them safety and security and instead drove them into a world war that pretty much destroyed Germany. Uh, it's, it's been a long time coming, but Germany basically got destroyed in the Second World War. And so they didn't, you know, security for Germany was just another stupid, evil, monstrous, genocidal government program that destroyed the country. The only solution is more freedom. And people will then run to the arms of fascists to save them from communists. And then the fascists end up destroying them anyway, as happened in um, uh, Spain, as happened in uh, Italy, of course, as happened in uh, Germany. So, yeah, that's what the communists will keep provoking people. And then what happens is people start fighting back. And then the media, which is generally already staffed by communists, provokes these kinds of conflicts. And then the state will try and uh, come down like a hammer on the people who are fighting back. And so this is what they're trying to do with Trump, right? They're trying to get Trump to provoke a response that they can then use as propaganda to call him a fascist and to escalate further into outright murder and violence. And that's what was going on in uh, Germany uh, in, the, uh, in the 1920s. And uh, that's where uh, Hitler, of course, uh, came from as a whole. And uh, a, a lot of it has to do with, um, uh, I, I, let's do that history another time. Let's do that history another time. What's annoying about Molyneux is that he avoids real truths because he is scared of the blowback. I always love getting called a coward by people who have anonymous names. <laughs> I just think that's pretty funny. I just think it's pretty funny. I mean, I... Uh, I I take on a lot of topics. Come on. I take on a lot of topics that are very volatile for a lot of people. And uh, so I just think that's uh that's pretty uh it's pretty bad. Uh, and again, if 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 you think that there's uh I don't know, some big topic that uh you you need needs to be dealt with, like rather than going on with your anonymous uh courage, uh you know, just you know, put your own fucking name out there. And go start the goddamn channel and tell the brutal truths that you feel everyone else is too cowardly to bring about, right? If there's some desperate, dastardly truth out there that you think everyone else is just too scared to touch, well, what a market opportunity that is for you, my friend. What a wonderfully underserved community you can then preach to and bring all of these amazing, terrifying, terrible truths that everyone else is too chicken to deal with. You can bring that front and center and you can enlighten the world and you can steal the golden thunder and you can steal the golden crown and you can steal the golden egg from everyone else who's just too chicken but until you actually do that kind of shit the fact that you're some anonymous coward on the internet calling me a coward when i've taken on just about the toughest topics in the known universe well screw you my friend <laughs> screw you all right let's see here do you think collectivists are a different species no no, no. Any news on Chaz? Yeah, there's news on Chaz, for sure. Um, I, you guys are too interesting to me. Uh, so, uh, I'm a coward. How can I be less afraid and chickeny? Well, I, first of all, stop calling yourself a coward, because even if you're asking, if you think of yourself as a coward, it's because you have a higher standard than what you're currently doing right now, which is not the standard of a coward. So, um, so to me, courage is simply a matter of perspective. It's not a matter of willpower. It's not a matter of, you know, screw your courage to the sticking place, Macbeth style. To me, courage is just a matter of perspective, right? So let's go back. Let's go back. Let's go back, or way back when, 
to 2010. 2010? I think it was Dick Gregory introduced me at Libertopia. And I gave a speech. And the speech was how to find freedom in an unfree world. And I talked about how if you are a voluntarist, if you're an anarchist and an anarcho-capitalist, and you accept that the initiation of the use of force is immoral and evil, then with the people in your life, the normies or whatever you want to call them, but the unenlightened people, right? And you've got to be patient. And, you know, we were all unenlightened. We all need to be sort of brought to the light, hopefully gently and, and positively. But if you say, well, look, taxation is theft, and they say, I think that you should be taxed because I like whatever, the welfare state or, or government health care or old age pensions or whatever it is, right? You should be taxed. So then you say to them, well, wait, so I disagree with you about the virtue of the welfare state. Do you support me being thrown in prison at gunpoint if I disagree with you? I don't like the welfare state. It's immoral. It's destructive. It corrupts society as a whole. It's bribery and, and um, the collapse of, of morality. We need opposition in order to to grow, muscles are strengthened through resistance. And if you take away people's resistance, you take away their spine. We become like astronauts who lose bone density because we have no gravity. We need resistance in order to have happy lives. We resist resistance, but we need it desperately in order to have a happy life. So if you say to people, look, do you support me being thrown in jail by costumed people with guns because I disagree with you about the welfare state? Like I say, look, if you like, like, let's say whoever some politician is in charge of the welfare state, some politician, we'll call them Bob, some politician is in charge of the welfare state where you are. And you like, you think Bob is the best guy to help the poor because, you know, he's just wise and smart and, and knows how to manage poverty and all that. So I would never, ever in a million years prevent you from sending your money to Bob. You're free to do it. I'm not going to interfere with that. I may say to you, I don't think he's got a good plan, but it's your choice. It's your freedom. It's your money. It's your property. It's your life. That's called freedom. But if Bob is a local politician and I think Bob is really terrible at helping the poor, he makes the poor worse. He's just buying their votes. He's corrupting them. He's lying to them. And I don't want to send my money to Bob, to Bob but Bob claims the right to tax me. Do you support me being thrown in jail at gunpoint where I might be raped because I disagree with you about Bob? That's a very foundational question. You've got to personalize the violence. Come see the violence inherent in the system, right? You've got to personalize it because it's very real. It's very real. Now, if somebody is willing to look you in the eye and say, yes, I support you being carted away at gunpoint, thrown into jail, and possibly raped because you disagree with me about the welfare state, that person is kind of a psycho. Like, to put it as nicely as humanly possible, they're kind of a psycho. They're so ideologically indoctrinated that their essential humanity has simply been stripped from them. And they have become a well-bloody, greased machinery of supporting state power, the most evil power in the world. I mean, governments killed a quarter billion of their own people in the 20th century alone, not even including war, just killing their own people. It's called the against me argument. Do you support the use of violence against me? Now, and, and of course, people are then saying, oh, we've got we to break up with their families if they don't agree with me. <laughs> yeah. No, it's not a question of disagreeing. People are free to disagree with me as much as they want, of course. Of course. How on earth am I going to learn if everyone agrees with me? And how on earth am I going to be correct if they don't meet resistance? That's why I do all these debates, even with people I find contemptible afterwards. So... If somebody looks you in the eye and says, I want you thrown in jail with a gun to your head 
if you disagree with me about how to help the poor, how to provide health care, blah, 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 that person cannot love you. They do not love you. They want violence used against you for disagreeing with them. Screw them. Like, that's psycho. That's psychotic. That's mon- sociopathic in its essence, right? Now, if you take a stand, right, most people can't judge ideas at all. I mean, unfortunately. I mean, I think they can innately, but it's kind of been trained out of them by these terrible government schools and the media and garbage universities and so on. Most people can't judge ideas. What, the only thing they can judge is your commitment to those ideas. And they will simply assume that whoever is the most committed is either A, right, or B, going to win anyway, so you might as well side with them. And so if you look at Antifa, if you look at the left, if you look at the Democrats, man, they're committed. They are committed to what it is that they want to achieve. They, they have that will to power thing, that Nietzschean, Darwinian will to power thing down straight, man. Like, no kidding, right? So for those of you who don't know, if you try to donate to Black Lives Matter, it goes to a charity which gives money to Democrats instead, basically. And on the board of that charity is a former member of the Weather Underground, a convicted terrorist who was serving her life out in prison, but then was pardoned by Bill Clinton on his last day in office. Now she's on the board of this charity that redirects money to some degree from Black Lives Matter to, to, to the Democrats, right? And, I mean, that's serious stuff, man. That's a serious commitment, right? Uh, let me just get a few more details on that for those of you who don't know. Uh, yeah, um, so let's see here. Oh, no, I don't want to join your newsletter. I don't. Okay, hang on a sec here. Uh, let me get this. Yeah, I mean, some Marxist origins and so on. Um, look at me doing live lookups. I wasn't expecting to talk about this. I was going to do that a, uh, a, a another time. But uh, let's see here. Oh, yeah, here we go. So... Uh, Rosenberg, I think her name was. Uh, a Clinton pardoned member of the Weather Underground, Susan Rosenberg, um, was uh, is, uh, is uh, involved in this kind of stuff, right? And uh, yeah, it's uh, it's pretty bad, you know. So so the Weather Underground terrorist can be pardoned by Bill Clinton, and I mean she had a bad man, if I remember rightly. Her her father. Uh, oh no, that was someone else. That was the. Scum woman, S-C-U-M, Society for Cutting Up Men. But um, so for, for the left, they, Bill Clinton will pardon a convicted terrorist who then ends up running a charity that funnels money to Democrats. And meanwhile, Roger Stone is going to jail. All right? He hasn't been pardoned by um, Trump. Uh, me- meanwhile... Um, Julian Assange rots in prison, hasn't been pardoned, right? A convicted terrorist is pardoned. So they're willing to do it. Now, of course, they have the backing of the media as a whole, and that helps enormously their power. But most people can't judge any ideas in terms of their validity or content. What they can do is they can judge your commitment to it. So if you are committed to the non-aggression principle, if you are look at me when I tell you this, it's super, super important. If you want to have a chance in the future, 
it's survival on unsurvival because we're all you're watching this man sorry <laughs> you're on the cruise ship to anti-communism or bust so like please understand this eye to eye you got to understand this if nothing else that i say if you are truly committed to the non-aggression principle you define good and evil in your life good is support for property rights and the non-aggression principle. Non-aggression means don't initiate the use of force. You're perfectly happy and welcome, and I think it's a damn good thing to use force in self-defense. So if you accept the non-aggression principle, which is the only universal, moral, absolute, property rights and non-aggression principle, two sides of the same coin. If you accept the non-aggression principle, you've just defined good and evil. Good are those who support the non-aggression principle, and evil are those who support the violation of the non-aggression principle or violate it directly. And the people who support the violation of the non-aggression principle are far more dangerous than those who violate it directly. You understand that, right? People who support evil ideologies are far more dangerous than those who merely practice them. I'll tell you what that means. If there's some guy who wants to come and steal from your house, you can put a fence in. You can buy a dock. You can put an alarm system in. You can be armed. You can hire a security guard. You can get into a gated community. There's so many different things that you can do to not be stolen from. You understand? Your capacity to deal with individual evil actors, pretty damn high. It's pretty high. <laughs> it's called flight in some areas, right? Or fight in others. So individual evildoers do not pose a significant threat. Ah, but those who support the state, those who support taxation. Well, you can't, I mean, I guess there's a gated community called Chaz that has, quote, freed itself from the state, so to speak. But you can't avoid that. You can't avoid the power of the state. You can avoid, the power, the, the, you can avoid individual evildoers. You cannot avoid the power of the state. You can avoid an individual thief. You can't avoid taxation as a whole. So it's those who support Immoral ideologies are far more dangerous to you than those who merely enact them at an individual level. You can protect yourself against one. You cannot protect yourself against the other. So the people who support the state. Now, you know, I'm, I'm not talking necessarily about people who are like, you know, the objectivist minarchist state, like the government handles police and military and courts and maybe the prisons and so on. I mean, okay, that's just obviously a step in the right direction. But the people who support particularly leftism, socialism, giant government programs, government education slash indoctrination. Those people pose an existential threat to your continued ability to live in a free system or situation. So if you genuinely believe in the non-aggression principle, then those who support systemic violations of the non-aggression principle are extremely dangerous to you. I tell you, I do not have people in my life who support the use of violence against me. Are you kidding me? How could you possibly have people in your life who would cheer you being dragged off to jail and possibly raped because you disagreed with them about the allocation of resources in society? I think there should be socialist health care for everyone. I disagree. Screw you. Drag you off to jail. And if you resist, you understand, if you resist going to jail... If you try to defend yourself, I'm not suggesting you should, but because I, I know that if you do, they will shoot you. 
So people support you getting shot if you disagree with them about how your money should be spent. Your money. They want to spend their money however they want. Fine, go for it. They want you shot or dragged off to jail if you disagree with them about how your money should be spent. Your own money. That's evil. That's evil. Now, you can get mad at me if you want, but that's the logic of the situation. It's not my fault that that's the logic of the situation. That's the logic of supporting the non-aggression principle. Whatever you support as the good, you must oppose the opposite as the evil. Of course. Of course. Right? So, if the hard socialists win, if the hard communists win, you're going to lose those people anyway because you're going to be dragged off to a gulag in the long run, or worse, right? I mean, the amount of slaughters uh, that occur when communists take over of anybody who opposed... Well, there's two people. The neutral people sometimes survive and often do. The people who opposed communism, uh, well, they're shot or imprisoned pretty much forever and tortured. Those who betrayed the existing system to bring in the communists, the communists will kill them too because you never trust someone who betrayed the previous system because they'll just betray you as well, right? Like, you know, the old thing that if he cheats with you, he'll cheat on you. So if they betrayed the, the, the past system, they could betray the current system. So all of the people who are trying to shepherd in communism, it's a true death wish because, I mean, they will not make it. Historically speaking, that has certainly been the case. So for me, as far as courage goes, it's like, well, what do I have to lose? What do I have to lose? Now, please understand, I'm not talking about anything violent. I'm not talking about anything. I'm just talking about ostracism, refusing to... Like, if you have a moral system that defines people as evil... And then you just go say, oh, well, to hell with my moral system. I'm just going to break bread and pretend nothing happened. And we're going to go to a ball game. And then we're going to go whatever, right? It's fine. Then just accept that you don't believe in your ethical system. That's all. I'm not telling anyone what to do. I'm just, these are the consequences. If you define someone as evil, and then you completely ignore that because it's socially convenient for you to do so, then just do me a favor and drop the beliefs. Right? Just drop. If you say, oh, violations of the non-aggression principle are evil and I'm for no government or small government or whatever, and there's all these people in your life who are for big government and want you dragged off to jail for disagreeing with them, either live your damn beliefs or drop them. But don't live in this half world where you simply discredit the beliefs by holding them without acting on them. That's a way of saying to everyone, my beliefs are bullshit. That's a way of just saying to everyone, ah, it's just a pose. I don't really believe any of this stuff. It's, you know, it's just something I say. It's just, you know, it's my little, it's a little hobby, you know, like putting sailboats in bottles or gluing 124th models of Messerschmitt's 109Es from Airfix. It's just, it's like a train set. It's like a little hobby, you know, like some people put puffy cotton wool clouds on the houses in their little model train sections and other people talk about the non-aggression principle and and you're actually doing an enormous amount of harm to the value and virtue of morality if you hold it without taking it seriously just drop it and just just don't live if you're not going to live it then shut up about it drop it because you're discrediting it by saying yeah these are my beliefs but you know i don't really right i mean if if you're a jew obviously you don't like nazis (laughs) i get that I don't like Nazis either. But if you're a Jew and you hate Nazis, you fear Nazis, and then you're like, yeah, but, you know, my friends are mostly Nazis. (laughs) It's like, okay, well, something's not computing here. Right? 
Because if your friends are mostly Nazis, clearly you don't hate Nazis. If you claim to hate Nazis, but your friends are mostly Nazis, eh, you got a problem. You got a problem. So the non-aggression principle carries with it an enormous burden and a liberating burden it is too, of bringing into sharp relief the ethics of everyone around you. Put them on the spot. Ask them to lower the weaponry they want pointed at you. It is not an unreasonable request to say to people in your life, will you drop the gun that your beliefs have pointed at me? I call it talking about the gun in the room. Because people talk about, oh, let's give health care to the poor. And this, that. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That's all, it's all nonsense. That's like give the proletariat the control over the means of production. It's very abstract. It's like, are you willing to point guns at people who own factories and steal it from them? And if they resist, are you willing to shoot them? Well, I bloody well hope not. Are you willing to drop the gun that you want pointed at me if I disagree with you about how my money should be spent? And how my time should be spent. My life should be spent. Now, if you're not willing to say that to people, then let go of your supposed virtues, which mean nothing to you. And just say, yeah, I just, I go along with the crowd because I don't like to be disapproved of. Look, I get that. That's how most people are. I'm not going to sit here and, and get on some moral high horse and say, oh, you're a terrible person. Most people, most people are just tumbleweeds blown along by the winds of society, and they, they hit a rock and they kind of bounce around it. There's just water flowing down a mountainside, seeking the path of least resistance with no particular shape of any kind at all. And if you're one of those people, look, it's fine. You can still live a fine life. You can take care of your family, not particularly well, but it's fine. It's fine. You don't have to be some big, strong moral hero to, to have a good life and to contribute things in this life. I just don't want people to pretend. That's all. Like, in, in, inauthenticity is the great crime here. If you don't want to live these values, then don't hold them and pretend. Don't be a pretend thinker. Don't be a pretend moralist. If you are willing to have people in your life who want guns pointed at you for disagreeing with them, fine. I mean, I think it's a terrible way to live, and I think you'll regret it in the long run. But it's fine. But then don't sit there and chest thump about how much you are committed to the non-aggression principle and capitalism and free markets and property rights and freedom and blah, blah, blah. Because people aren't going to judge your ideas. They don't have the capacity to. All they're going to judge is how seriously you take your ideas. And if you don't take your ideas seriously at all, they're just like, eh, NAP is, NAP is bullshit. Non-aggression principle is garbage. Property rights is garbage. Free market is garbage. He just talks about it. doesn't really mean it. Blah, blah. I can just go on blathering on about free health care for illegals or free health care for the poor or whatever it is. And, I mean, he'll still come over. It doesn't really matter. So he doesn't really believe in anything that he talks about. And all you're doing is discrediting. Philosophy. You're discrediting ethics and virtue and integrity, and commitment. Maybe you're the most dangerous. That's all I'm saying. And that's the best thing that you can do to live a free life. And I talked about that more than, many more than 10 years ago. And unfortunately, a lot of people don't uh, seem to be very interested in doing that stuff. All right. Let's, um, you guys have two good questions. <laughs> The questions, should ANCAPs vote this year? I don't tell people what to do, but I think defensive voting is fine. I've sort of changed my mind on that. Can I see this comment? Yes. When's part four coming out for Manifesto for Kids? Second question, will switching to sound money such as crypto take the power away from Marxist groups like BLM and Antifa? Yeah, yeah, of course, of course. Of course it will, yeah. Will Bitcoin become illegal? No, I don't think so. See what happened to the guy in South Korea who tried to regulate Bitcoin? He did not live very long. 
So no, I don't think that's uh, I don't think that's going to be the case. All right. Um, I know I was going to do State of the World. I'm halfy halfy. Um, this may be good. <laughs> this may be bad. I'm halfy halfy about this. Um, I will let you guys decide. I have uh, I have a speech. I can do it another time. Uh, but um, just push Y if you want me to just do keep, keep doing the Q&A if that's working for you. And uh, hit N if you want me to do uh, a, a speech. I'm happy to do either. I mean, it's great, great hanging out with you guys. Uh, I didn't know this. Uh, I put this on standard delay. So do you still have contact with Peter Joseph? <laughs> Are you kidding me? Are you kidding me? No. I have anything to do with Mr. Robot Marxist mummy head. Uh, is not, uh, is not, my, uh, not my cup of tea. I have no respect for the guy. Sorry. Yeah, it looks like you guys want me to keep doing Q&A. Okay, listen, I'm, I'm happy to keep doing a Q&A for sure. Young people have no respect for private property. Well, God, why would they? Are you kidding me? Why would they have respect for private property? So young people are born, and very quickly they learn that society doesn't give a rat's ass about them, that society will dump them in daycares, will dump them in terrible schools, will let them fend for themselves in the lowest common denominator psychofest that passes for classrooms these days and has for a long time. They also then quickly find out when they're pretty young that they're being born into millions of dollars of unfunded liability and national debt, which they never asked for. So how on earth, when you, when you treat people as convenient slaves to funnel money to leftist political parties through leftist unions, when you te- treat children as assets through which the, their future productivity you use as, as a collateral to borrow money or print money in order to buy votes. If you treat children worse than you treat slaves, which we generally do in our society, when children are hit, when children are abandoned to workaholism, when children are dumped in daycares, when children are nothing but collateral for international banksters, what on earth How on earth does society sit there and say, well, I can't believe those kids don't respect property rights. All we did was bury them in millions of dollars of debt and unfunded liabilities before they were even born. All we did was lie to them about the value of a university education and have them poisoned with toxic Marxist brain-rotting garbage and having them dump out on the other side $50,000 to $100,000 in debt with very few job opportunities because they hate the system and they've been so twisted into weird personal perspectives and weird bodily tattoos and they've got so many pieces of metal sticking out of their head it looks like they had an epileptic attack and fell down a fucking flight of stairs holding a tackle box. We lie, we exploit, we cheat, we steal from. Wow, those kids, they really don't seem to respect our society. (laughs) Those kids really don't seem to respect property rights. Good God. Of course they don't. Do you think the Electoral College could spark a civil war in November? No, they, I don't think there'll be a civil war until there's more of a gun grab. Um, that's not the plan, right? There are 75 million Trump supporters who are pretty heavily armed. That's not the civil war that the left wants, right? Uh, how would you recommend preparing your kids for war? I don't think there's any way to avoid it at this point. I do think that there is. Otherwise, I would be. Uh, I would be say that I would hang up a sign saying the time for arguments has passed and and just do something else with my life. But um, I, I do not think 
Okay, Steph, how do you teach children property rights at a young age? Uh, well, um, it's a couple of things that, that are really important about this. Um, so first of all, I still remember my Winnie the Pooh book when I got, when I was like four years old. I put my name in it, and it was my book. And I remember this deep Anglo-Saxon pleasure at having something that was was mine. And so the way that you teach property rights to kids is you respect their property. You give them stuff. It's theirs. They've earned it. And just keep them... Um, respect their own property rights, respect their own personal self-determination, don't force them, don't bully them, don't control them, don't violate their own self-ownership by putting them in timeouts or locking them in rooms or not giving them dinner or anything like that, right? I mean, find ways to work with them that respect their bodily autonomy and respect their own personal property, and then they will grow up uh, doing all of that stuff. Uh, what do you think about Tim Pool? Uh, I think the top of his head is an egg. What do I think about Tim Pool? I think he's a fairly amoral outrage merchant. Um, you know, he's he's got some good points. You know, like uh, there's an old uh, saying. Uh, what does it come out of? Um, uh, oh, yeah, Hamlet says this to Laertes in Hamlet, of course. He says, uh, "I'm sorry that I have shot an arrow over a house and hit my brother, right? Because he killed uh, his uh, killed Laertes' father, Polonius, if I remember rightly. Sorry, this has been a while, <laughs> but." Um, so uh, Tim Pool, you know, he's outraged at censorship, uh, but he's fine with massive violations of property rights because he's left of center. And so it's a lot of selective emotional outrage, but he's not philosophical, right? You know, it's not his gig, it's not his job and all that. So, you know, he did a good job in Hoaxed and he did a good job in Sweden and he did a good job on Joe Rogan with Twitter and all that kind of stuff, which is great. But... Taxation is a form of censorship. It's because, you know, it's, it's, a, it's a way of, like, if you support a particular charity and you vote with your dollars, right, that, that's one thing, right? That's a form, like, where you put your money is a form of freedom of expression. Um, I, I hate and loathe government broadcasters like the BBC and CBC and PBS, I think, in the States, right? like government-funded broadcasters because money is literally being stolen from me so that they can write hit pieces on me and people that I like or care about. It's monstrous. It's one thing to be attacked. It's another thing to be forced to fund your own attacker. It's vile beyond words. So taxation is a violation of freedom of expression because they're taking my money to express what I find vile, and that's less money for me to express what I care about or to support people who I care about and like, right? So he's all, oh, censorship, censorship. It's like, yeah, but if you support taxation... That's far more egregious than a mere censorship situation. So, But again, Tim is not a, a philosophical guy. He's not working from first principles and so on, right? So, uh, Let's see here. Children are the most oppressed class. Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. I understand it's all but impossible to tell, but what are your predictions on the next president, 2020? You know, Trump's going to have a tough time getting in. Demographics are against him. Aging population is against him. Coronavirus is against him. And so it's going to be tough. You know, a lot of people and a lot of people are kind of in a bubble. Like, so the cross-pollination that occurred in 2015, 2016, where people kind of came out of nowhere, particularly through social media and spread maybe not a pro-Trump message, but an anti-anti-Trump uh, message, uh, that cross-pollination has largely vanished because the left has been very good at breaking up and shredding the loose coalition of people who were 
more favorable towards Trump. And and because there's very little middle, right? So Lauren Southern came out recently and, and she wants to do the middle of the road thing, like Lauren a lot, but you know, that middle of the road thing is kind of kind of the road less traveled these days. You know, people have gone to their their German and and British no man's land trench warfare and there's just, you know, being in the middle is just a way to get shot from both sides, allegorically speaking. So there's not a lot of cross-pollination. So there were a lot more undecideds in 2015, 2016 than there are in 2020. And so the positions have hardened and the propaganda has been really powerful and hysterical over the past couple of years. And the suppression, the suppression that is going on on social media, um, it staggers the imagination. I mean, staggers the uh, imagination. And so, like... Um, so there's not a lot of fertile soil in which to plant counter-narrative to leftist propaganda uh, these days. And, yeah, I mean, my channel has been, uh, you know, just go and try and search for me on YouTube and you can't find me. I mean, they've literally taken me off the autocomplete. Uh, my videos have been enormously uh, suppressed. And, uh, you know, Trump only won by 70,000 votes. I mean, I get, I know it's different with the Electoral College. It was a landslide and all that, but... That is um, that is pretty pretty wild. So um, I was certainly more confident, as I said in the past, I was more confident of a Trump win in 2016 than I am of a Trump win in 2020. The um, the countervailing randomness that it can occur, right? Is there going to be another big terrorist attack? Uh, is there going to be a big attack that comes in through Antifa or something like that? Because what's happening right now is the left, because the left lives in a bubble, and so they don't understand what it's like to look at the left from outside the left. And so, you know, when they tear down statues and they're attacking people and all of that, and, you know, Jack Posobiec was um, manfully striding through a sea of uh, Washington Antifa uh, just yesterday. You know, gosh, dude, you've got kids and all. But um, when people see that kind of stuff, it's pretty scary. Uh, it's it's pretty scary. And so the left is doing a pretty good job of propagandizing for Trump. And uh, that is um, very, very uh, powerful. So we will we will see. All right. Uh, I've got a couple of questions here from the Subscribestar server. I uh, just wanted to uh, mention that. This stupid mic question has been answered in many streams. Why keep asking it? Yeah, I don't, I don't know why people are interested in, you know, people have come and gone from, I mean, other than me, <laughs> of course, people have come and gone from free domain over the years. I've worked with a wide variety of people and Stoyan, if you remember that and all that. So um, I don't know why people are interested. I, I almost think like, do they think I've got him buried in the backyard or there's something sinister that happened or something like that? I don't know. It's very strange. Very, very strange. All right. Um. Somebody said here uh, on subscribestar.com forward slash free domain, you should really sign up. And plus, I put out a lot of shows there that aren't going out to the main stream. Uh, regarding the against me argument, what if they say you are allowed to disagree, you still have to pay, though? Can you explain the link between your freedom to disagree and your freedom to not support a program financially? I wish this topic was brought up more often, by the way. You are allowed to disagree, you still have to pay, though. But your disagreement is about paying. <laughs> So you're not allowed to disagree if you're being forced to pay, right? It's like going to a woman and saying, well, yeah, you are allowed to not go on a date with me. You still have to go on a date with me. And if I have to do it by force, that's how I'm going to do it. Well, then she's not free to not go on a date with you 
if you're going to use force to have a go on a date with you. So if somebody says, well, you are allowed to disagree with me about how the poor should be helped, I believe that the government should do it. And if you don't want to pay, then you get thrown in jail or shot for resisting being thrown in jail, right? So, no. You are allowed to not have sex with me, but you still have to have sex with me. It's like, that's not, I didn't make any... Doesn't make any sense. What did Marxism do to the Ukraine in the 1930s? Plus, I don't think it's the U the Ukraine. So this is the uh, Holodomor. Uh, I'll I'll talk about this very briefly. It's a big topic. I'd love to do a full in-depth presentation on it. But these live streams are too much fun. So um, so the Holodomor is the starvation of millions and millions and millions of Ukrainians. So Ukrainian soil is famously rich. It's called the breadbasket of Europe. And you just like you drop stuff and it just sprouts into, I don't know, a fully formed hot crust buns or something like that. I don't know. I'm not a farmer. But um, uh, Ukraine was resisting the Sovietization of Ukraine, right, coming out of the, uh, uh, the Soviet Union. And uh, Stalin wanted to do two things. He wanted to collectivize the farmland and what that means is steal the farm and then give it to your politically connected cronies and and buy support from people by giving them the property of other people you know the usual stuff it's democracy but with a fast forward on it number one and number two he wanted to punish the ukrainians for resisting this process of stealing all of their productive land and giving it to state favorites and incompetent people who couldn't manage or anything or produce anything and so during the process of this forced collectivization of the farmland, uh, industrial, well, I shouldn't say industrial, uh, agricultural output fell catastrophically. And uh, they also took massive amounts, because this had happened in Russia earlier. It happened in Russia in the 20s. It happened late 20s, the early 30s in Ukraine. And so they stole a huge amount of the grain uh, and the productivity from Ukraine and shipped it elsewhere. And... This was, of course, all covered up by the New York Times and, and other Western publications. And so what happened was the farmers began to panic and began to hold on to their grain because they were concerned about starving. And then, of course, this was called hoarding, and it was counter-revolutionary uh, behavior. It was uh, insurrectionist behavior, and it was punishable by the usual massive gulag sentences and outright shooting people and, and so on. And so, of course, you know, once um, uh, once this kind of a moral, downright evil, legal garbage comes flowing into a society, what happens is you've got some enemy, some guy you hate, and so what you do is in the middle of the night, you go and take a bunch of uh, bags of grain and you go and hide them in his barn and then you call up the local authorities and you say, ah, that guy's hoarding. And then the local authorities come by and he's like, I'm not hoarding. And then they go, well, what's in your barn? Well, nothing's in my barn. They go and they find the stuff and then they shoot him. And then you get his farm. Like it's in, in the same way that in, in Vietnam, the Americans said, oh, you know, if you tell us who the enemies are, we'll shoot them for you. And all that happened was people said, oh, yeah, that guy slept with my wife. He's totally an enemy. And they went and shot him. And it's all memento style where the dumb brutes uh, shoot people because of what is said and so on. So uh, it was a massive, massive, brutal slaughter of Christians as well, right? Because remember, um, communists are not Christians. This is the whole Jewish question, right? Communists are not Christians because... Communism is atheistic, right? And so the Germans looked at Ukraine, and of course there was a lot of cross-pollination of those two societies, and they said, oh my God, when the Christians 
get taken over by the atheist communists, the atheist communists start slaughtering Christians left, right, and center, which is, again, another thing that panicked them into the arms of, of Hitler. So I hope that, uh, uh, that helps. Will you ever do a show on how to parent your child correctly? Uh, I have done a whole bunch of shows on parenting. Just do a search for parenting or peaceful parenting or whatever, right? Tim Pool needs to find a wife and start making kids. Yeah, it's an interesting question, right? So Sticks Hexenhammer 666, a guy I find engaging and entertaining. I've done a bunch of shows with him. He was posting today like, oh, I need a new video game. It's got to be open world. It's got to be violent. And uh, it's got to be stuff that you can build. And it's like, dude, I mean, maybe just, you know, have a kid or two. Um, <laughs> you know, it's pretty good. A pretty good way to, uh, pretty good way to do it. All right. Another couple of questions. Communism has killed more people than Nazism and still killing. Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. All Marxists have an inferiority complex. Well, okay, I'll, I'll tell you a little, a little something here. A little something here. I'll tell you two little stories from when, I was, from when I was younger. So I had it, as you know, pretty rough, very rough growing up. And, but I always thought I had a lot to contribute. As it turns out, I kind of did, <laughs> for better or for worse, have a lot to contribute. And so I remember two things today when I was going to talk about this, this topic of, of feeling entitled, feeling like you're special, feeling like the world owes you something, right? Because, listen, the world does owe you something. When you're born, your parents absolutely, completely, and totally owe you love and care and skin-to-skin -skin contact and breastfeeding and cooing and playing and engagement. And your parents absolutely owe you. You can't provide those things for yourself. Your parents absolutely owe you all of that stuff when you are a little kid. And if you get it, Great. And one of the things that is different between myself and other family members, you know, I mean, I think a lot of it has to do with philosophy, for sure. But there's another thing about my history that's, I think, has given me a lot of empathy and, and compassion and all that kind of stuff. Like, I'm, I think I'm chock full of mirror neurons and all that. I know that because, I mean, I'm very good at helping people with personal issues and putting myself in their shoes and role-playing other people. And I can really, really put myself in other people's shoes. That's kind of like a mirror neuron and empathetic thing to do. So when I was a baby, my mother got very depressed after I was born, I know that sounds, sounds pretty bad, but she had postpartum depression, like something terrible. And she ended up being in hospital. If she just couldn't function at all, she ended up being in hospital for months after I was born. Now, something had to be done with me. So I was put with an aunt of mine. And the aunt that I was put with had an incredible bond with me. Like we just got on, you know, we, we understood each other. Like even as a baby, we just kind of got on. Again, just maybe she was more Irish, like I'm half Irish, half German. She was more Irish and maybe there was, I don't know, who knows, but, or maybe it was just a simpatico thing or a kismet thing or whatever it was, but we just got along as the old saying goes, like a house on fire. And she bonded with me so much. She actually later named one of her children after me when she got older and had her own kids. So we just, we really, really bonded. And I think that is one of the things that really helped me get out of and surmount the abuse that I suffered for, for you know, 15 straight years as, as a child, right? 
I think, and, and I know other members of my family didn't have that particular benefit, and I think that had a lot, had a lot to do with it. So even little things that you can do to help uh, kids, to help people can, can have a, a big effect. But so the, if you don't get what you need as a kid, you have a hunger. You have a hunger for what was not completed with you as a child. You have a hunger for attention. You have a hunger to be the center of attention. You have a hunger for people to give you things, for people to give you resources, because that's what should have happened with you as a child. And accepting that if you didn't get it as a child, you will never, ever, ever get it. Like That's a really, that's a big canyon. That's like evil Knievel, gaping ass crack of Jabba the Hutt space to cross, right? If you didn't get what you needed as a baby, you will never, ever, 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 ever get it. And trying to get it as an adult is really unhealthy for you. Like if you didn't get enough food to eat as a kid, eating more food later on doesn't make you taller, doesn't make you healthier, just makes you sicker. Like if you don't get what you need in the time that you need it, you have to just grieve that. You just have to accept it, mourn it, grieve it, and that's the only way to get past. And then you can do the great thing, the alchemy of taking your own suffering and, and then producing good in the world through that process. The, the incredible alchemy of, of taking evil and turning it into virtue is kind of the fundamental moral muscle machinery that we need to activate within ourselves, this transmogrification of trauma to love. I would not be nearly as good a father if I hadn't had the bad childhood that I had. But the process you have to go through is you have to say, I'm never going to get it. You know, to be the center of attention. Okay, I tried that in the art world. I went to theater school. I was acted in a bunch of plays. Didn't work for me. Maybe I can just date a lot of women. And I can be the player. I can be the stud muffin, right? And I dated a lot of women and didn't work for me. Oh, maybe I can found a company and I can be the center of a productive enterprise. And people will... It, I did it and it worked economically, but it didn't work for me personally. If you didn't get what you needed when you were a baby, nothing is going to fill that hole later. And addiction is the belief that something can happen that will fill that hole in you later. You have to just stand by the grave side of your childhood. You have to sing your sad songs. You have to kiss the dirt, throw it on the coffin, and just walk away. You have to go through the mourning process of not getting what you didn't get. Now, the people around you who didn't give you what you deserved and what you needed as a child, they damn well do not want you to go through that grieving process at all. At all. They want to pretend like they didn't do anything wrong. Mistakes were made, but we did the best we could, but the knowledge we had, blah, blah, blah. it's all garbage, right? Parents know that they're going to be parents. And they have at least six months to study up on parenting. You don't go fly a plane without learning how to fly a plane. If you crash that plane, you say, hey, man, I did the best I could with the knowledge I had. Bullshit. You know you're going to be a parent. You have enough time to read up on it, to practice it, to plan for it, to figure out how to do it right. And there's so many books out there. Parent effectiveness training, I think, is pretty good for this kind of stuff. So the people around you who harmed you as a child, they don't want you going through this process of mourning because with that process of mourning comes the anger against the people who hurt you and they don't want that because they want to continue to exploit you 
And the parents who harmed you, if their parents did harm you, they want to keep you around for a couple of reasons. One is the social status of just having your kids around. Number two is that when they get old, they want you to take care of them. And if you confront them, you get sad, you get angry, and you confront them, that whole scheme goes up in smoke. But privatizing the family is what I'm all about. Privatizing the family. Privatizing the family is what I'm all about. Family should be a choice. My daughter is going to get older, and she's going to go out into the world, and she doesn't have to call me at all. You understand? She doesn't have to drop by. She doesn't have to do any of that stuff. I've got to provide enough value and virtue to her that she's going to want to be in touch with me because I will never guilt her into being in touch with me. Never guilt her. Never bully her. Never pressure her. So I have to parent like I want her to love me for the rest of her life. Voluntarily, peacefully, without manipulation and control. Privatizing the family means it's voluntarily chosen. Think I'm about privatizing the state, but you got to privatize the family first. Because I can't reach in and make parents better. Like, you can't go to some crappy government bureaucracy and make people better by lecturing them. The only thing you can do is privatize that bureaucracy so that the quality and meritocracy of the free market motivates people to do better. And if parents are guaranteed their children's attentions, no matter how badly they treat those children, then the family is essentially the state that you can't escape. Like if the government gets your money, no matter how terrible a job they do, no matter how much you oppose them, and your parents get your attention and resources, no matter how badly they parented you, the two things are the same. You can't privatize the state until you privatize the family. And you can't improve the quality of parenting until you privatize the family and make it voluntary and make it chosen. If it's automatic, it's just another dictatorship where nobody has to do any good job because the resources are guaranteed no matter what. If people all mad, oh, government schools and, and, and blah, blah, blah. Yeah, but it's the family. Make the family voluntary. Parenting improves. Make the family voluntary. Then we don't need the state anymore. Because parents will improve to the point where people don't end up growing up with this bottomless hole in their heart the size of their heart. So when I was a kid, two things happened. Number one, my mother and I were walking through one of these home shows that, you know, when you're a kid and you're young, you get dragged to all, especially if you've got a single mom going on, you get dragged to all of this hyper girly stuff that just drives you insane. Like my mom, I, half my childhood was just sitting there completely bored in some stupid ass dress or handbag store or makeup store where my mom just tried on things and did, did little pirouettes. And what do you think? It's like, mom, I'm a seven year old kid. I don't care. I don't care. Please don't ask me if you look pretty or hot in that dress. I've got enough challenges going on as it is. And so she took me to one of these home shows and there was this guy standing there and he handed me what I thought was a $50 bill. Hey, somebody gave me resources when I'm completely stripped of resources. Nobody gives me anything. And, you know, you unfolded it and it was just like a joke thing. Like, oh, you know, it's $50 worth of great coupons if you buy $1,000 worth, whatever it was, right? But there was that moment where I, I've responded. That's why people want to win the lottery. It's why people want to become famous. They think, oh, it's going to fill me up. It's not. It doesn't feed you. It eats you. It eats you. 
Whatever you do to avoid the suffering you experienced as a child simply reaffirms that. Like if you spend your life running away from something, you're simply affirming, affirming that a thing is dangerous and scary. Right? Obviously, right? So whatever you do to try and fill up that hole just makes the hole bigger. You have to just confront it and, and, and grieve it, and then it loses its power over you. turn and you accept and you absorb. And I remember that very clearly. It was an older guy, kind of like that age to me when I was a little kid, and he just handed me this money. But I thought it was money. I was like, oh, he sees I'm, I'm valuable. He just decided to see, oh, this kid's got something. I'm going to give him, and vanish, right? But I remember that moment. I also remember a friend of mine whose uncle worked in a British paper factory that supplied um, letterhead to the royal family. I got sent an invitation to a royal jubilee because my family is, has an aristocratic history in, in Ireland. Uh, we were landowners. We were aristocrats. goes all the way back to the Battle of Hastings in 1066, which is why I have a French last name. We came over in that battle, and one of my ancestors was best friends with the philosopher John Locke and, and all of that. So a pretty good pedigree as far as all of that stuff goes. Um, probably some surf-beating in there as well. But So when I was in junior high school, I got a letter that came from England. He really worked to make that. And it was a letter inviting me, all expenses paid, to a royal jubilee and because of my aristocratic heritage and blah, blah, blah. And of course, my mother was like, oh, you know, this is because your father entered you into the registry and blah, 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 blah. I actually have a comma Esquire after my name. I could use comma Esquire if I wanted after my name. But I was kind of skeptical of it. But and I went to check with my friend. Hey, did you, you know, you're kind of into practical jokes. And, no, 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 I didn't, right? But And, and so I kind of got into it. And I thought, wow, I'm going to go to... England, I'm going to join the aristocracy and I'm going to find my roots and, you know, like, I'm special now. <sighs> right? So there was this hunger for just recognition for someone to notice that I was cool or interesting or, or engaging or whatever, right? Now, of course, you've already lost when you're thinking of it that way because when you're a baby, you're not supposed to be entertaining. You know, my daughter's going through a bit of a phase where she just wants to make jokes all the time. And I appreciate that. I like making jokes as well. But, you know, I just sort of point out, you know, it's a bit compulsive. You're not here to entertain me, right? <laughs> you know, I'm not here to entertain you. You're not here to entertain me. We're not stuck in a Queen song here. And so you grow up hungry for something that the world can provide you, something that you feel that you owe. And of course, all the people in your life who hurt you, who harmed you, who neglected you, who abandoned you, who abused you, they all want to point you at the world and say, the world owes you something. You're owed something by the world. And that's a huge and terrible lie. The world, when you're an adult, the world owes you nothing. It owes you nothing. That is the final step in adulthood. Listen. You don't owe me your attention in this moment. You don't owe me any donations. I think it's fair, providing value for value. If you found value and find value in what it is that I say, I think it's a matter of integrity to exchange value for value. This is pretty hard-won knowledge. I mean, that guy spent $20,000 in therapy. So, but you don't owe me attention. I have to provide value to you. Now, that if you were my mom... You would owe me attention as a baby, and I would not have to provide value to you. In fact, I could wake up crying, as I'm supposed to do, and I could be difficult, quote, to you, right? But when you are an adult, no one owes you reparations. Nobody owes you sympathy. 
Nobody owes you attention. Nobody owes you money. And you don't know, you don't owe people that either. See, once you give up the expectation that other people have to provide everything to you, then you also give up their capacity to extract those things from you. That's why I say what we hunger for eats us up. People are growing up without fathers. People are growing up without love. People are growing up without stability. People are growing up without philosophy, without religion, without virtue, without values, without any principle with which they can organize their lives. And they're lost. And they respond to stimuli. They respond to pornography. They respond to video games. They respond to extreme sports. They respond to movies. They respond to VR. They're stimulus junkies. Because in the absence of peace, we sniff out stimuli to make us feel like we're alive. But that burns us out after a while. It's like cocaine. It burns out your capacity to produce the endorphins that minimize the pain of simply being alive physically, right? The way to free yourself from obligation is to free yourself from expectation. And then you can deal with people without them manipulating you into giving them something they didn't deserve or without you trying to manipulate them into giving you something that you feel you deserve. And you can treat people as equals, not as tools to stuff into the wounds of your history, not as band-aids to go over the sucking chest wounds of your excavated heart, but just deal with them as adults. The exploration of the provision of voluntary mutual value, that's adulthood. The desperate need to have people fill in the holes of your history. All you can do is manipulate at that point. So when you see people out there, like you see the Antifa and people like that out there, look, I get they're, they're a dangerous mob and, and I'm not trying to say, you know, they're not immoral in what they do. Yeah, I get that. But, you know, to go to a deeper level rather than moral judgment, which is important, but it's not the end of the story, to go to a deeper level and say, hey, well, why do they hate the system so much? Why do they hate the system so much? Why has Antifa grown over the last couple of decades? Well, I think it's because child abuse has skyrocketed. And one particular form of child abuse has skyrocketed, which is childhood sexual abuse. Childhood sexual abuse. You don't have a biological father in the home. You are over 30 times more likely to be abused. Biological fathers are the shield against the creepy predators who want to sexually assault your children. Single moms are not good at keeping their children safe from predators. That's a man's job. Sorry, ladies, that requires the twig and berries. Now, if you have a system that has massively facilitated the sexual predation upon children, which is what the welfare state and divorce courts and all of the other family-shredding ideologies and resource allocations and forced resource transfers has a, achieved the destruction of the nuclear family, then you have removed the primary defense against exploitation of the child and the family, which is the father, biological, genetic father. So I believe, why do they hate the system? Because the system facilitated their abuse. The system that is 
allowed them to be abused, perhaps even allowed them to be molested, raped. And when you're a child and you go through those kinds of experiences, you learn a brutal truth about society, which a society would much rather you shut up than talk about it. Society doesn't want to look at how children are treated because our entire system rests upon the exploitation of children. Our entire system, I'm not just talking about Hollywood to a large degree, but our entire system relies on the exploitation of children. If we didn't have national debt, which, which is the exploitation of children, right? it is the selling of children into debt slavery, straight up. Just because you get to choose your own job doesn't mean that you're not a slave. Selling children into generational debt slavery, if the government could not monetize the future productivity of the unborn and it had to raise taxes for everything that it wanted to spend, the predatory and consumptive nature of the state would be revealed like that. The entire system that we have utterly, completely and totally relies upon the brutal exploitation of children. The people who want to destroy the family very often are the people who want to assault children sexually. Let's be straight up because that's why, do you, why are you so keen on getting fathers out of the house, you creeps? Why? Why are you so keen on getting the daddies out of the house? Because the dads protect the children from people like you. It's not fundamentally a political system, you understand. It's a system of sexual exploitation. Like Hollywood, it's not primarily an entertainment system. <laughs> it's along similar lines. Let's look at what happened to the girl who starred in Poltergeist. That's a little gateway to hell, right? Maria Abramovich style. So once you get right to the core of these things, like communism is not a political system, it's a system that looses the restraints on sadism that allows you to control people, to bully people, to torture people, to assault people, to rape people, to rape children. And if you understand that, then it's a whole lot easier to not get distracted by who owns the means of production. That's all a cover story. That's all nonsense that's just designed to give people free access to satisfy the darkest desires the human heart can hold. Yeah, An Open Secret is a good... Gabe Hoffman's done amazing work on that as well, and all of that. As I said before, the, the black experience in America is that half of black girls, between 40 and 60% of black girls report being raped by black men before they reach the age of 18. Do you really think that the problem is with a George Washington or Thomas Jefferson statue somewhere in Lafayette Park? No. That's all the distraction. So that we don't talk about what's really going on. Think of the, the amount of rapes and beatings and sadistic torture that occur in gulags. You understand? That's the purpose of that extremism. That's the purpose of far-leftism, is to enable these six sadists to 
act with impunity. This is why the left and pedophilia have always been associated. So when you look at these violent people screaming about the system, all they're basically saying is, Daddy, why didn't you protect me? Screw the system that ignored my destruction. Screw the system that won't listen to me now. I mean, you can see this, of course, in South Africa, the rape capital of the world. I think Sweden, tragically, is now second. And uh, I always forget this number, but let me look it up. That's uh, astonishing. Um, that's right. An anonymous survey conducted in 2016 in Diepslut, a densely populated township north of Johannesburg, 38% of the men, two in five, admitted to having forced a woman into having sex with them. Extending the question to broader violence, having beaten or threatened to hurt a woman, the statistic jumps to 54%, almost three in five men. Of over 500 sexual assault cases reported in this tiny region since 2013, only one case led to a conviction. Only one in nine cases of rape is reported to the police. Uh, absolutely appalling. And of course, because of the prevalence of, of AIDS, uh, it can uh, also be a, uh, a death sentence. And if you think I'm kidding about the kids, remember I was saying between 40 and 60% of black girls report being raped by black men before they reach... Now, you understand that, that if you're a black man and you've participated this, or anyone who's participated in this, the last thing that you ever want is for people to empower children and say you've got to speak up about the abuse you received. You understand this is one reason why people hate me so much. There are not good people who do that, right? So this is from 2018. Um, every day in South Africa, 46 children are raped and two children are murdered at least. At least. 41% of rapes in South Africa are against children. Against children. Mbeheli says, The horrific brutality with which these children were murdered is also frightening. Weapons used include firearms, axes, spades, pangas, hammers, belts, and poison. Many of these children were practically butchered to death. That means that people talk about the rape crisis in South Africa. But um, 41%, and that's, I mean, I assume that's higher in, in reality. Now, communists destroyed the rule of law in South Africa, however brutal and imperfect it was. And this has led to this kind of acting out. And that's the reality of what we're facing. It's not a political system. It's a system of 
uncorking and legitimizing and rendering safe from consequences the sadists among us. Very dangerous people. Look up Rabbi Nukem Rosenberg. He was attacked by others in his community for exposing this kind of thing. Yeah, and in one of the, I think it was one of the um, fundamentalist Jewish communities, uh, half the children were, were raped. Half the children were raped. All right. So, listen, I, I hope this is helpful. I hope this gives you some sense of, of what's going on. Um, the people who are hungering for resources and then, you know, people from the state or people who like the state, they come forward and they say, ah, you know, don't worry, I can give you the resources. I will give you free stuff. I will take care of you. And it's very hard. You know, people who are raised well, people who are raised peacefully, people who get what they need from, then someone comes along and it's like someone trying to sell you a plate full of food when you just had a giant meal. You just don't want it, right? But you can just do anything with the starving. So we've got to find ways to fill each other up, to, to get satisfying relationships, to help people grieve their histories. Otherwise, they will be these empty-hearted puppets that can be filled up by the sociopathy of those who promise them relief from a pain that they can't be saved from. Give up your freedoms in return for free stuff puts you straight back into the slavery you'd struggled to escape from as a child. All right. Thanks, everyone, uh, so much for listening. Please, please help out what it is that I do. I think, we, I think we understand how important it is. I hope you understand how important it is and how kind of unique it is as well. Like this, this sort of breadth of topics that we talk about here is really quite uh, powerful and quite uh, uh, important. So I hope that you will help me out at freedomain.com forward slash donate. Uh, I have some really great things coming up this year. I... Um, uh, have been home for a while, but as you can imagine, I'm sick of it. Maybe you're sick of it too. You want to see me more out in the wild, which I'm aiming to do. And uh, there's going to be some travel involved with that. So if you can help out with all of that, freedomain.com forward slash donate. Lots of love from here. Having the opportunity to do what I do with your support is the greatest honor a human being can have. And I hope that I do you proud. I always aim and always strive to. I take your support extraordinarily seriously. And I hope that I do you proud. And if there's anything I can do better, please let me know. Thursday night, 8 p.m. Eastern Standard Time. Join me here for a debate with a communist who's somewhat sympathetic to Antifa. And that will be quite something to see. And um, I will say goodbye. Have yourself a great, great evening. We'll talk to you soon.